0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom focused, gospel centered, multi ethnic, multi class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. The reading comes from Isaiah chapter 34, verses 1 to 10, and chapter 35. Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations, and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall, as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted to destruction. The Lord has a sword, it is sated with blood, it is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen shall fall with them, and young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its fill of blood, and their soil shall be gorged with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion, and the streams of Eden shall be turned into pitch and her soil into sulphur her land shall become burning pitch night and day it shall not be quenched its smoke shall go up for from generation to generation it shall lie waste none shall pass through it for ever and ever chapter thirty five the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus it shall blossom abundantly And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not stray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hey, family of God. Uh, I'm so glad that you joined us this morning. Guests and visitors, thank you for joining us. If you want to know anything about downtown church, uh, we ask that you just text uh, six. 2488 and uh, we can give you more information about who we are, what we're about, and you can keep up with the events. But we are now jumping back into our Isaiah uh, series. Uh, We had been walking through Isaiah for the past several months and took a brief pause to go through uh, a a topical series that we called Exposed and where we felt as if... uh, where we are in our current circumstances expose uh, some of the things in our lives, some of the uncomfortabilities. But now as we get back to the book of Isaiah, uh, I want you to realize that there's quick, there's a bit of a um, uh, uh, a gap in terms of the time that we've been gone. And I remember uh, when my grandmother would think, I always think about her stories. She would say, baby, I got to watch my stories. So if you know, I was taking her to the grocery store, if I, was, had, had I, if I had her out, if I needed to get her somewhere, um, or e- any of us, even my, my cousins, my brothers and sisters, she would make sure that she would get back to watching her stories. Some of y'all are saying, what are stories? It's nothing but soap operas, Young and Arrested, General Hospital, all, uh, All My Children, and She would want to see the recap of every story. And in every recap, they would talk about what happened in the previous series in order to prepare them for what's ahead. This is what we're going to do. Just a brief moment in our introduction. We're going to take this introduction to say uh, there's a brief recap of what has happened over the last couple of chapters um, to, where, to where we are now in chapters 34 through 35. And what we see generally in the book of Isaiah is that he, he this prophet living in Jerusalem, was trying to send the message from God to old Jerusalem, dealing with judgment and hope. Uh, and then judgment and hope, he was actually trying to bring attention to their rebellion. This is Israel, rebellion to their idolatry into their injustice. And what he was trying to send a message in hope regarding that was the new Jerusalem of what is to come dealing with peace and justice for all nations. And this is where we find ourselves in our text where God in the last couple couple texts uses Isaiah to send a message to Israel who has uh, allowed themselves to trust In the enemy, Assyria is attacking them and they go over to Egypt to ask for protection. You see this in chapter 30. And as they are asking for protection, they do not consult with God. God is upset because the people of God has the one who is all powerful, all knowing, who has all the authority. He's the one that can protect them. And yet they did not consult him. And he gave them woes. He reminded them that all of the destruction that will fall upon them will be destruction because of their ignorance. But yet he is faithful to deliver them. And this is where we see God doing in chapter 34 and then rejoicing in chapter 35. This is brings us to the point that if I want you to think about anything in the backdrop, is that this God's judgment on these nations is the same simultaneously happening at the same time of his exaltation of a blended, uh, blended background that shows Judah's repentance. So here's the big idea. The big idea is this. God's judgment should cause us to long for his return. God's judgment should cause us to long for his return. Not just simply vengeance, but the fact that his judgment will come should bring comfort to the people of God even though they see the, the, the tormenting, the destruction, and the demise of their enemies. Uh, this is important for us to understand because I think in our day and age, in our time, we are so fearful of God's judgment, we never find comfort in it. But God's judgment is not one that will aim at those who, uh, that aims wrongly or unjustly. His judgment is a picture of justice and holiness. It's a picture of his character. And so the people of God ought to feel comfort in that. In his judgment, we should feel protection. And in his judgment, we should rejoice. Those are the points that we'll get to this morning as we go through chapter 34 through 35. Before we open God's word, let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and uh, how you are continuously being good to us, and how you are reminding us of your faithfulness. And I pray, God, that in this moment, your word goes forth. Hide me beneath your cross and allow your word to uh, speak to your people and not Michael Davis's words. Before we pray this, in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, all God's people sit together. Amen. Now, when you look at chapter 34 uh, in our selected reading, what we see is God's judgment is meant for the enemies that tormented the people of God. Eden is actually mentioned here, but the primary enemy, but here as the primary enemy. But it's also important for us to know that as the people of God, we have a primary enemy. And that enemy is the same enemy of God. And he is Satan, who tempted Adam and Eve, who was the same one that allowed sin to creep into the mind of Uh, And to the issue between brother and brother, that's Cain and Abel. Uh, To also deal with it, to to creep into the mind of Esau and Jacob. Uh, The nations have felt and have been threatened by these enemies from time. And we've seen it through ancient conflict. We've seen it through present conflict. And now we see it right here with the people of God are all needing to be delivered from an enemy that threatens their lives. And God is going to do it. And Isaiah, in this prophetic, um, in this poetic prophecy, he actually accomplishes the demise on articulating the demise of the Assyrian army. We see in verses one through seven where God's rage is there. And in God's rage being there, we actually see that uh, in God's rage being there, we actually see that all nations is illustrated through the shedding of blood, the slaughter of. Of Their armies and the total termination of Edom in verses eight through fifteen of chapter 34 we see god's vengeance and scholars note that what is required by divine holiness is also merited by human sin in other words God's holiness demands the justice for oppress, oppressed for the oppressed for the tormented and for the evil that is plagued upon the people of God one of the things that we have to ask ourselves the question is why does god uh, why does God give these people, uh, Edom, and many of, the, of, of adversaries against Israel, why does he give them such a judgment? It's because God is faithful and just. God is faithful and just. God, God's judgment will protect the people of God, and that is exactly what he's doing. Who is he protecting us from? The enemy. Right now, we look in our context, this enemy is being slaughtered. You can look right there in to in verse uh, starting at verse 5 from my sword has drunk it has drunk its fill in the heavens behold it descends for judgment upon Edom upon the people I have devoted to destruction the Lord has a sword and listen I want you to see this sword this sword has done something it gorges its fat this sword is with the blood with the blood of the lamb and the goats and the fat of the kidney of the rams. It's being descriptive of the sacrifice that happens to this enemy. But right before that, you see in verse 3, it says that they their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpse shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. Graphic, right? But I want you to think about this fact that It's not just a graphic image. It's assurance of the fact that God is going to handle this enemy. God is going to have vengeance upon those that have inflicted terror upon the people of God. That is comforting. That's why God's judgment is comforting. But it's also for us to know that our sin also will be judged. Our sin also will be, there will be recompense for that. And God makes it clear through his scriptures. So the things that we do in dark will come to the light. The things that we hide before God will have to be before him. And those sins will be slaughtered. Those things will be handled. Those, Those consequences will come before the Lord. It can be terrorizing at some times. But also what it says to us is God is a purifying God, a holy God that will make sure that no evil creeps anywhere around him. Creation being plagued by this, we see right at the beginning of verse, uh, chapter 34 that God is enraged. The Lord is enraged against all nations and furious against all their hosts. A couple of weeks ago, months ago, I talked about the wrath of God. And some of you may have forgotten when I talked about God's wrath. And when you think about God's wrath, sometimes you only think about the terror, but you don't think about the fact that God is disgusted with evil. His wrath is not a wrath simply because he wants to bring destruction. His wrath is a purifying wrath that says that he has a righteous indignation against the sin that is plaguing this world, and against the sin that is plaguing his church, and therefore he wants to make sure that vengeance is before them and that he is angry, he is heated, he is hot. I've talked about this in the aspect of him showing and expressing an anthropomorphic aspects of his anger so that he can relate to humanity. But I want you to know it's not just a, a, a anger a hothead anger it's a righteous indignation that comes out of the fact that God knows what he created and what he intended and therefore he will not allow enemies to destroy it that's you too people of God that's you because he says this in verse 8 for the Lord has the day of vengeance a year of recompense for the cause of Zion he will have his vengeance for us today, we can say, well, how do we relate to Edom? How do we relate to a people that's being tormented by, uh, by, by an army? How do we relate to people that are, that are using Assyria, another military force, I mean, um, running from Assyria and to use another military force in Egypt to fight for them? Here's what we need to learn, people of God. We need to learn that, first of all, God continues to fight our battles, that he has already defeated the enemy who is Satan. That's who God protects us from. He protects us from Satan, Satan, who's the father of lies, the one that tries to commit so much torment in your minds and your heart that you forget who God is. He is the ancient serpent. He is the deceiver of the whole world. He is the advocate of, defend, of division and the prince of darkness. All of the schisms in our church, we, we can not only contribute them to our brokenness and our sin, but we can also contribute it to the fact that Satan wants to see the church destroyed. Satan wants to see us divided. He doesn't want reconciliation. He doesn't want harmony in the church. He doesn't want victory for the people of God. He doesn't want to see us alive. When we recognize there's an avid enemy, we won't live a life of peace in our own comfort. When we recognize there's an avid enemy, we won't try to live in peace with our own comfort. If you understand what anything that I'm saying, this enemy is not one that is resting alongside, resting and trying to make sure that we are okay. He is trying to kill you in those dark moments of when you've thought about suicide. He is trying to kill you in those dark moments when you've overdosed and tried to hurt yourself. He's tried to kill you when you've consistently tried to cut yourself and cut yourself and cut yourself. He's trying to kill you when you've tried to pop so many pills. He's trying to kill you when you've taken the bottle back every single time. He's trying to kill you when he's trying to tell you that nobody in your household needs to live. So you need to kill everybody in your household plus yourself. He's trying to kill You by making you think that your life is worthless. He's trying to kill you by making you think that the lives of human beings who have been slaughtered by uh, by injustices they don't matter. These are the things that are that the deceiver, the father of lies, is trying to do. The God, God says that He is the God of this world. He's the God of the flesh in terms of these carnal activities. But we know a God that supersedes that. And he is one that will commit all of the vengeance that needs to be brought upon the devil who is already defeated. So how? How does he protect us? He protects us by defeating this adversary. He protects us because what he says is, I have given you the power within you. This is a New Testament ideology. This is a New Testament thinking for us to understand because we're not out here fighting Assyria necessarily. We're not out here fighting uh, uh, Edom necessarily. But I guarantee some of you will click off of this right now or some of you are just clicking on right now. Some of you don't even care about God's word. All you want to do is talk about talk negative about the church. Some of you want to talk about how you've been affected by the church. Some of you want to make sure that God knows that you don't like him, that you are disgusted with him because of what's happened to you in life. May I remind you that Satan wants you to accuse God for every bad thing that's happened in your life. But God has given you a spirit, the Holy Spirit, to resist every tempting thought that you need to take captive. This week in Bible study, we talked about taking captive thoughts. We talked about setting our minds and infections on the things above. And God gives us that reality to do so because I'm telling you right now, when the devil tempts us, it's not just simply when you lose your job. It's not just simply when your spouse isn't acting right. It's not simply when you are your children are acting crazy and rebelling against you. You fall susceptible to the devil when you are in that dark space and you want to fall into whatever sin you fall into because you are feeling depressed and lonely and anxious and you are feeling overwhelmed with all the things in life and you cannot do it on your own so the power of the spirit is to help you fight the devil God has already done it with the victory you have to believe it setting your mind your affections your thought life on the things above and I want to tell you this that the adversary does not care about your afflictions the adversary does not care about your emotions He doesn't care about your God. But here's the thing. God protects us by the way we depend, abide, and rely on him. The Bible says that you hide his word in your heart, that you will not sin against him. That anybody that's attached him, John 15, attached, abiding in him, they won't do any evil. No harm will happen to them. And you can think to yourselves, well, Mike, I'm suffering right now. Or, Mike, I'm going through right now. Mike, I'm, I'm dealing with, I want to tell you that if you leave this earth, you will be with Jesus. Isn't that victory? You cannot control your, the direction of your life. But the devil cannot steal you from God's hand. That's how God protects us. But why must we rely on this protection? Why do we need this protection? It's very simple. The Bible says that our flesh is weak, and our flesh's weapons are not powerful enough, and and, and we are not Christ. I remember being in my Hebrew class. Uh, Sergei is taking Hebrew right now, and y'all pray for him uh, because he's still trying to learn the alphabet. Uh, (laughs) I'm joking. Pray for that brother, though. But I remember being in Hebrew class and I was dealing with the same things that he that he was going through. And the, our professor, Dr. J. Skalar, had every one of us stand up It was 50 people in our class. And he said, I want each of you to, to stand up and declare that you're not the Christ. And so we continued to hear reverberating around the room. I am not the Christ. 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 And hearing that there was a reminder once it got to that, per- that, that last individual that for sure that whether we got it right or whether we got it wrong, it was not that we were supposed to be the savior of our lives. God is the one that has sent his son to die for us in order to be our savior. And what, what, what Isaiah has been trying to articulate to the people of God here As that your deliverance does not come when you simply make a pact or a covenant, a band with some other military force because you want to go about it with your own wisdom. Your wisdom will make you fall into destruction. But God protects you by giving you his wisdom so that you will thrive. God's judgment will protect God's people. That's a fact. But God's judgment will also cause the redeemed to rejoice. That's another fact. One of the most prolific songwriters in history uh, in Christianity was Fanny Crosby, who wrote 9,000 spiritual songs, over 9,000 spiritual songs. And Crosby was blind in both eyes. Six weeks of age through the medical era, Crosby was blind her entire life. However, she could visualize the beauty of Christ's blessing. And often there with more clarity than those who had sight as a result has been noted as many of the of her hymns. This visually impaired lady quite amazingly spoke about the sight that she's seen from the glory of the Lord. Listen to this. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. That's from Blessed Assurance. She also says, watching and waiting, looking above. Again, from blessing assurance. Then in the cross, she says, near the cross, I will watch and wait, hoping and trusting forever. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our, transparent, our transport. When Jesus we see, how is it that a woman who is visually blind, impaired, could see the glory of the Lord. What is it about God's brilliance that she can see? What is it about God's character that she can see? What is it that though she could not see me and you, she can see the one that can protect us. She can see the one that will cause her to rejoice. This is chapter 35. Those who could not see, those that were lame, those that could not talk, those that could not walk, those that were dealing with all of the afflictions, those that had limp hands, those that had weak knees, all what God is saying is that you can see past your affliction. You can see past your brokenness. You can see past the enemy because God has given us victory and this foreshadowing goes to the next part, next section eventually with chapter 40 and chapter 42 where we see there is a declaration of what God's doing. Not only does God help us to see past it, but I want you to recognize that God is saying in chapter 35, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom in its croas uh, crocus, sorry, uh, blossom like the crocus, and it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. I want to emphasize once we get to the end of this the fact that singing is so spiritually healing for the people of God that it changes the way that we interact with him, but not only that. This is what we see right here in verse 2, that God's brilliant. Imagine having your child. One of my best friends, he would always talk about his son and his disability. Imagine when he will one day see his son leaping for joy. Imagine one day when you had both of your legs amputated or you had that relative's legs amputated leaping for joy. Imagine you're plagued by all of the internal sicknesses where it's diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol and imagine all of those things that are affecting you now when you will know longer have those but isn't it more powerful to see someone who not walk but now walk this is a powerful image that God's healing comes amid the fact that we as the redeemed can rejoice peace and protection comes next because he says in verses eight in verse eight that this highway shall be there and it is a holy highway and they won't have to fear anyone he even says even if there are fools they will not go astray there will be no, no, no ravaging beasts, no lions. They, there's nothing to fear because God is with his people. And lastly, after the peace and protection, God gives him a new song. This new song is a song that the redeemed shall sing. It's a new song that they will proclaim as Zion. And why is it important to sing a new song? Many of us have to recognize that Psalm 96 and 1 says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. It's in Revelation fourteen three, And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the living and before the four living creatures creatures, and before the elders. A new song is important for, for the people of God to praise the one who has delivered them. I want to close with this. That The order of our worship is changed so that we can sing a new song. The order of our worship is shifted just so we won't necessarily come in and think that we're just going to sing our songs and worship. I want us to respond. I remember when we were singing the choir, we were singing uh, Richard Smallwood's It's a Highway to Heaven. And we were saying it's a highway. I don't even want to sing it this morning because I don't want y'all to fall out. Y'all may fall out when I start hitting my high notes. But when he would say it's a highway to heaven, I remember watching the, well, even watching the video when we would practice the song as a car. He said, none could walk up there. None could walk up there but the pure at heart. It's a highway to heaven. None could walk up there. None could walk up there but the pure at heart. This morning, I want to say it's a highway to heaven, but none could walk up there. None could walk up there but those that have seen God's brilliance. None that can walk up there but none those that have seen God's purity and his peace and his protection. None can walk up there. None who are comforted but those that are comforted by God's judgment. None could walk up there, beloved. None could walk up there but those that are redeemed by the precious blood of the lamb. None could walk up there, O Zion. None could walk up there but those that have seen God heal the sick, the lame and the blind. None could walk up there. None could walk up there but those that have been delivered from the hand of the enemy. That is the highway to heaven. And we, one day, will walk that way. We have to trust and believe it, but I want us to sing it like we believe it. So at this time, I want you to prepare your minds and your heart so that you will continue to sing to God in worship, that you will continue to praise him for what he's doing. And as you do, prepare your hearts to worship God with what you have to offer. It's this time we will Have our offering where you can now text uh, 73256 to downtown church, all lowercase. Uh, Let us continue to worship God and bless him. Remember, we have communion. And as we do, uh, I pray that we recognize that this highway to heaven is one that God has created so that we can walk up there. Father, we love you. and We thank you so much for how you have reminded us of who you are. Bless your name, we praise your name, and we will give you all of the glory for what you have done. You remind us through the prophetic poems of Isaiah that you will seek recompense for your people. But then you will also give us the ability to rejoice in light of your judgment. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray, all God's people say together, amen.